Trauma Healing Learnings based on one mom's journal entries recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the blink of an eye story. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Welcome to Trauma Healing Learning 4, Being Human, Part 2, with Dr. Dan Gottlieb. We are proud to be sponsored by I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to disrupting the current response to spinal cord injury by providing support to families and medical teams nationwide with spinal cord injury medical expert opinions, SCI family support and navigation, and an online resource directory. Providing an extraordinary experience for families, friends, and medical teams with spinal cord injury tips and trauma healing support during the SCI crisis. This episode is a continuation of my conversation with Dr. Daniel Gottlieb, a clinical psychologist and former radio host, quadriplegic, and self-proclaimed human. In part one, Dan Gottlieb and I discussed how the experience of feeling separated and separate creates trauma to the central nervous system. And when we were young children with these experiences, the separateness can then create the experience of feeling abandoned. And we can live a lifetime as adults with our young child selves, going through the trauma, living life as adults as best we can, but with a wound that our young child was unprotected. And so we protect ourselves or we go to protect others in ways that they did not ask for. Had we been able to care for the separated young child back during the time of trauma, the trauma could have begun to heal because the love of caring for the young child can recalibrate the central nervous system. Dan shared an experience of how we can go back as adults and create the care of our young child when either our own parents or other adults were not available to care for us. And since our young selves were too young to know how to be our own parents, offering that care and comfort. But we can return now as adults And do this for our own healing, no matter how long ago the trauma or the loss occurred. And we can look back and befriend our pain and learn from our pain and befriend our adversities and allow our adversities to teach us and remind us how precious life is. Today, our conversation picks up with Dr. Gottlieb's days at WHYY and ends with his experiences treating other quadriplegics, including the famous rhythm and blues soul singer, Teddy Pendergrass. 
A few quick notes. You will hear a clicking sound every time Dr. Gottlieb speaks. That sound is coming from his wheelchair motor. In addition, this interview was conducted in two parts over the course of a few days due to the daily fluctuations of a quadriplegic's blood pressure. You can find part one in your podcast feeds. So, settle in, take a deep breath, and think about what being human, being imperfectly human, means to you. Welcome to Trauma Healing Learning for Being Human, Part 2, with Dr. Dan Gottlieb. I'm interested in, in learning and hearing more about when you were on radio with Voices in the Family and, and really what, what that was about and what you think would be important for our listeners to know about that. Well, a couple of things. I was invited. First, I was a guest first. We're talking about marital therapy. And about three weeks later, the producer came to me and asked if I wanted to host the show. Well, um, this is about five years into my disability. I was the depths of my depression. And a normal person would have said no time and I channeled my Jewish mother and I said, yes. She was proud of you. I was petrified. I figured if they knew I was a quadriplegic, my audience, he turned the radio. Of course, how can I be both quadriplegic and covered? You would be both quadriplegic and... I, I figured they wouldn't see me as competent. Uncom- right. And friend. incompetent. Mm-hmm. So I didn't tell them it was radio. Um, and so, so when you had been interviewed, you were five years post-injury, which is just about where Archer is right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't know that you were a quadriplegic. That's interesting. I don't know. I, maybe not. I don't know. Um, so uh, I was in the back with my producer before one show. And I was reading a paragraph. And it wasn't going into my head. And I was reading it over and over. And I asked her to read it to me. I got it. It went right in. And I said, shit, learning disability. That explains all my failure in school my whole life. Wow. Wow. So you were in like your 30s at this point? Yeah, mid-30s. Mid-30s, yeah. What did we do? I did a show on learning disabilities. 
<laughs> of course you, you did. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're talking about 85, so there wasn't a lot known. Um, so on that show, I acknowledged my learning disability, and I told about my school failure. And I was nervous to do it. The outpouring was mm. tremendous, as you won't be surprised. Lots of support, lots of appreciation from the um, What did that do for you? Um, I felt freer. I felt um, cared for. And the more I opened up about my life over the years, um, the more I felt cared for. And there was a point where I was, I had no secrets in the air. My audience felt like friends, they really did, to all these invisible people. And they acted like friends. Um, well, you modeled for them something that was so uh, unusual and fresh. I mean, it's 1985. I know even when I wrote the Archer blogs in 2015, it, there just wasn't this kind of raw, real, you know, what we share, but you were in 1985, you know, such a trendsetter you were, Dr. Gottlieb. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, um, by coincidence, a few years before that, I had a friend came over, a friend colleague was over at the house and she said, um, put her hand on my shoulder. Which was what? I was complaining about something. Put her hand on my shoulder and she said, Dan, she said, you're a teacher. You have no choice about that. What you teach is up to you. What a beautiful, beautiful acknowledgement uh, by yeah. your friend. And I was angry. You were? Angry. I didn't want to be a teacher. Oh, you were angry with that statement. Yeah. Turned out to be a gift. I mean, as a result, um, you know, I smiled. Strangely. Yeah, it was a gift. But you were angry because you had to live into it, you felt. Yeah, I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, so that's... You can see how that dovetails into the radio. So I talked about my quadriplegia. Um, Penny Pendergrass was on the show. You know, he was a R&B. He was a probably most famous R&B singer in the world in the late seventies, mid eighties, and in the car accident, he was a quadriplegia. He was on the show, and um, that's where I opened up about my internal life. Mm, your in your internal life, because Teddy was opening up about his. Um, I was asking him to, mm -hmm. um, and and the way I did it was I talked about mine and asked him to corroborate. You know, I feel vulnerable and often insecure, I felt unworthy, 
and those feelings sometimes come back. Um, which of which of those feelings for you, Dan, do you attribute to the quadriplegia, and which of those feelings do you attribute to the Dan before the accident? All of them. All of them were before the accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I had no defense against them. Yeah. Once you uh, became a quadriplegic, the defenses that you had relied upon, you didn't have those defenses any longer. Um, you know, I talk about the truck tire that caused my accident. The truck tire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and what I say is it, it shattered my mask. So, Ergo, the phrase, I broke my neck and my soul began to breathe. I mean, mask yeah. is shattered. I mean, it's a powerful analogy to break one's neck and have your soul freed because, of course, the soul is never broken, it just is held back by oftentimes our physical bodies on how we think about our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, tell us about how it is that uh, being a quadriplegic did affect and influence your life, your therapeutic practice. Um, it's a big question, young lady. Um, <laughs> how it affected... Let me start with practice because... Uh, that's easy. Um, when I had my accident, I was treating a couple. As a, as a marital therapist. Mm -hmm. uh, details don't matter. In the middle of their treatment, I had my accident. And when I had my accident, I referred all my patients out and some of them went out, some of them stopped therapy, and, and there's several of them visited me once. This one couple that came every week to visit me, every week. And- um, Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, they had come to visit you, with just a moment, just to, for clarification. Yeah. They were weekly clients before the accident. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then, when you reference that they came to you every week, that wasn't after the accident, or it was. No, no I was in the hospital. It was purely social, and you know, they, they wiped my tears when I cried. They fed me before I could raise my arms. Oh, my goodness. So they were your clients before, and then they came to visit you in the hospital and after. I figured they're just dear friends now. Mm -hmm. So grateful. Yes. Um, and so after I got out of the hospital, they knew how insecure I was about going back to work. And they called and asked for an appointment. So no kidding. Yeah. So, you know, I couldn't go into the office back then. I had an office in my house at the time, makeshift. 
And um, I go into the office and I said to them, thank you um, for making this appointment. I know why you did it. You did it for me because you knew I was insecure and you made the appointment to make me feel better. And I thank you for it. And she said, we waited a year to get back to work on our issues. We're your patients. Wow. And that turned everything upside down for me. Yeah. And yeah. It, it just made the relationship more real with my patients. Yeah. That, um, Somebody could wipe my tears and still trust me as their therapist. Yes, that that incredible, rich braiding together of the human connection, even friendship, while also still being in a therapeutic or professional relationship. Yeah. It's just the pinnacle of experience, isn't it? So, yes, I, I know it too. It's really amazing. Yeah, yeah, it would be an oversimplification to say that's how it affected my work. But it changed it. Yeah. 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 Upside down. Inside so, out, maybe. <laughs> maybe it was yeah, more yeah. inside out. <laughs> so, my work um, after that was um, very powerful, very intimate very close to my patients. And it was something I'd never seen before. So I went to my mentor, my local teacher, and he wasn't getting it. He was trying to put me into the, a traditional theoretical box. Which was what? What was that box? The kind of therapy, you know, a type of therapy family therapy, I could be doing that, and he understands why I did that. He wasn't getting it. And I called, I knew, you know, it was early in the family therapy world and everybody knew everybody. I called somebody who was nationally known and he wasn't getting it and he knew he wasn't getting it. He referred me to his analyst. And I met him in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and I met with his analyst on the phone weekly for about three weeks. And he said to me, you know, Dan, your work is different. Your work doesn't fit in the box. Your work is your work. And you're on your own. And you're on your own in a way that was inviting or cold? Yeah. Cold. Mm-hmm. No, no. Um, he wasn't cold. He wasn't cold. But, my but reaction, that you would be on your own. Mm-hmm. My reaction, I was scared and sad and liberated. All of it. All at the same time. That's part of trauma healing where we can have, you know, sadness and fear and liberation all in the same moment. So it's integration. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, Dan, what's coming up for me is 
I have the have a new expression. I've even been playing around with it as a hashtag, and that is that love heals trauma. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah, that's the magic sauce. That's the magic sauce. Yeah. And. Uh, and you were putting well, it into your work. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. others were just didn't get it because they're yeah. like, you know, you, you got to follow some subscription, some prescribed theory here. And it's uh, you were really following the theory of the relational theory of love and capacity. Yeah. Um, I know. And I talk about this. But love is habitual. It's a habit. Love lays down new neural pathways. It generates um, hormones, oxytocin in the brain. And oxytocin is the relational hormone. Uh, so uh, I tell people that the more you love, the more you love. It is, it is my deepest belief that as we are dying, love is the last thing to go. Yeah. Or thought of it too, that that's what we leave and what we also take with us. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the yeah, work of the soul. That soul to soul, you know, connection. You know, I'm wondering when you feel that you discovered love. Was it before your accident or after? Oh my God, before, way before. Way before, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was, I had a girlfriend in fifth grade. <laughs> I'm hearkening back <laughs> that delicious time of life. Yeah, I was writing poetry to my girlfriend in eighth grade. I loved pretty easily and pretty often. I was never afraid of love, of falling in love. I was never afraid of being hurt. Not that I was so self-confident that, you know, if I, did, if I got hurt, I'd handle it. That wasn't part of the formula for me. And how lovely is that? Well, I'm, I'm wondering when then you were injured, I know there were a number of times, maybe even months or years, when you were afraid of telling others that you were, had had this accident or that you were a quadriplegic. Where where did that fear come from? Well, in part, it came from my own insecurity. And in part, it came from the world of disability in 1980, 80, and 81, and two and three. It was before the ADA. Um, and we weren't visible. Nothing, very little, was accessible. And we were friends. Yeah, yeah, we've we've come a long way with the ADA. I, I do wonder if even having come so far with the ADA, 
Do you still experience barriers? Yeah. Oy vey. Yeah. Even a good Catholic girl says that. Oy vey. My Jewish friends always smile. <laughs> I get that. Oy vey. Yeah. Tell me about oy vey. Yeah. Oh my God. Do I ever? I just traveled to um, New Mexico and uh, landing in Philadelphia. And they bring my wheelchair up to the gate so I can get in it. But when they bring my wheelchair up, one of the tires is sitting on the seat of the wheelchair. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Another time I flew, they put the chair on the wrong plane. Yeah. Um, things like that. I mean, those kinds of. of yeah, uh, thinking that maybe like it's like losing a suitcase and we'll get it to you in the next 24 hours, right. not realizing that you've basically just taken away every means of, of My moving. Legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, it is a godsend that they have handicapped rooms in hotels. That yeah, I smile every time I'm in a hotel now and I and I see the rooms. It just pleases me immensely. Yeah. With with wheel and showers. I've got wheel a, and showers, exactly. I've yeah. Got a portable shower chair I take yeah. with me. It's really room. extraordinary though, you know, the number of places where there are great financial resources uh, that still don't have access. I and mean, when I think about when Archer was at Penn and which, which, you know, he's still there and they still don't have any access at all in any of the first year freshman dorms, none. Oh my God. Yeah. So he had to live in the only dorm that was built. It was brand new, just being finished uh, when he entered in 2000 and gosh, 17. And it was just for upperclassmen. So he lived with upperclassmen and got to know no one, you know, in this beautiful high rise. But yeah, he, he never had, he would never had time with the other freshmen, never was involved in any of freshman activity, anything like that. And that's now it's really extraordinary. And, and there certainly are abundance of resources. Yeah, I wonder if that's even under the old buildings, historic buildings. <laughs> but you would think, you know, even a, even to get into a first year like the like the hotels are doing, you know, these rooms are oftentimes on the first floor. It's easier for you know someone in a wheelchair anyway. Um, but I do think that there are just so many it's in some ways it's uh you know it's a pine it's a pioneer world we can there are lots of things to advocate for but i just think about the the various um we live on the bright side of of the world too and and yet um the losses are really extraordinary and and even extreme for what is just uh, some of the basic hallmarks of living, you know, for Archer, he was just a young boy. He was just in high school. So, you know, no prom, no gaining cars with his friends to, you know, go out to parties, no in the country, no, no going to the lake, no in college, no spring break, um, you know, 
fraternity houses, you know, not, not ramped. It's, it's really, it's, uh, we have a lot, we have a lot to, um, to still, still do That's That's for sure. Oh what impact that must have on you. Oh my God. As a loving mother to watch you. So. Oh. Ooh, you are a good therapist. Oh. Get me right in my core. I could, I could cry some tears now. God, I'll bet you can. Yeah, it's uh, heartbreaking. Uh, and Sheldon Cockrell book years ago, and he said in it, the most difficult part of love is tolerating your own helplessness in the face of the loved one's suffering. Yes. Oh, isn't that a profound observation? Uh, it is. Yeah. I think about, you know, even in my own religious tradition, as, as I relied on Mary, you know, the mother of, of Jesus, for what it must have been like for her, a Jewish mom who watched her son, you know, crucified and just that helpless uh, feeling. And you've got to see that there things will pass and there has to be something good that comes of things. Um, I think about that actually a lot. You know, Dan, I'm I'm wondering for you, as a therapist, what what pearls of wisdom might you give to a young quadriplegic? None. Um, look, take a third. Me, it's about faith. The literal about faith. Yep, faith. Faith in a god or a higher power necessarily, but faith is what happens when you learn to float as a kid. You remember, you you paddled water. And it was it was hard. And how do you float? You just you just trust something you don't understand. Yes, something bigger and larger than you are. I still don't understand. Yeah. Um, but that's faith. It's yeah. letting go. So I have I believe this deeply. I even wrote a book about this that um, the title of the book, The Wisdom We're Born With. And, you know, we're born with all the ingredients we need to heal. You look at our bodies, you look at nature, you look at animals, with very few exceptions. Yeah, we have it all, everything we need to heal. Yeah. We, right here, right in this moment. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I say nothing. I would never tell anybody they'll get better. What I would like to say is you have any questions? Yes. Until you do. Be here with you. Mm. Um, 
years ago, I was at Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia. And I was in the lobby waiting to be picked up. And at that time, the um, cancer chemotherapy unit was on the ground floor where the lobby was. And you could smell, you know? Yeah. That, can that cancer smell you're speaking yeah. of. Yeah. And while I'm there, uh, a woman is coming out, frail-looking woman, young, with, you know, turban, and holding hands with her son that looks to be about five, six years old. And they're approaching this big revolving door. And he says, Mommy, I'm scared, referring to the door. She says, you know, honey, I'm a little scared too, but we'll hold hands and go through it together. Wow. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. That's right. I love that. They're not going to stop the revolving door. They have to step in to the revolving door together. Yeah. I feel that with my patients. I feel it with people I love. I feel it with people who ask almost anything of me. I love that you make yourself available for that. Have you had other quadriplegic patients oh, or clients? Well, Beautiful. The first was Teddy Bendergrass. Oh, he actually, Teddy came to you as a, as a therapist. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you that story. It was, he was referred to me from the rehab hospital. He said to them, nobody can help me. And they told him about me. And he said, well, if anybody can. He was deeply depressed, as one might expect. Talk about how far he fell socially, you know. Biggest singer in the world. Yeah, no, it was a it was a major fall in every respect. Yeah, and what most people don't know is that it affects the diaphragm when, when your injury is so high up. Yeah, yeah, people don't know. Like with Archer, he didn't have enough, uh, you know, juice to move his diaphragm, so every ventilator lung machine didn't work on his lungs. Right, right. So. He was suicidal. Now, that was the depths of my depression at that moment. All the, of that was coming together. Pardon? The same, the same moment when you're working to treat and work with Teddy, you were facing your own depression. Yeah, this is all coming around the same couple of years. Wow. My depression, Teddy, the invitation to be on the radio. Wow. And, and, the, and the thoughts of suicide. Yeah. Yeah. All in the same period of time. Yeah. The thoughts of suicide were early by a couple, but just a couple of years. So um, Teddy and I worked together for a while. And then he said in one session, I've made up my mind. I'm going to take my life. And I said to him, well, if that's your decision, 
have an ethical responsibility to sit down with your family and tell them. So his family came in, his wife, his mother, his son. Wow. And um, he told them, and his son was sobbing. So the session's over, and the family leaves. He's in the back, somebody's pushing him out by office. And he turns to me, and he said, well, he said, I probably won't see you anymore. Mm. And I heard that one word. Probably. Yeah, I figured you would pick that out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I transformative mediator listens for everything. Yeah, yeah. And between the lines too. So I said to him in in my own subtle therapeutic way, I said, get your ass back in here. <laughs> we gotta talk about this probably. And and where I took it, I said. If you want to die, rehearse it. Mm. I can help you see what it's like. It's incredibly trauma-informed where you lean into it. You don't fight it. You don't resist it. Explore it. Like, really? Is, it, is this going to, like, really alleviate you of all the suffering? What does it look like? Well, I... I it's like divorce, you know, <laughs> get me out of this marriage or, you know, yeah. job. It's like, okay, let's look at that. What does that really look like? Right. Yeah. So I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you, your mother, your wife, and your son, all of to call in their own support system. Hmm. Went to his house. There's over a hundred people there, well over. And he's sitting in a chair, his chair. And I have to put a sheet over his head. And then I asked the people in the audience, one by one, to come up to him. You can't see them as though you are graveside. Wow. And tell him what he meant to you and what you've lost. One by one by one. Wow. And by the time we got up to maybe eight or 10, 12 people, he said, take the sheet off. No kidding. And he, I asked him, what is it that you can't deal with? And I had him list listed four major things. And and all the people are still there when you're doing this. Oh, oh, that's why I did it. Yeah, right. So he can have witnesses, observers. Yeah, the presence, the witnessing presence. So he starts with thing A. And I say to the audience, is there anybody that wants to help him with thing A? So somebody raised their hand or a few people picked somebody. I said, you are in charge 
of the committee of however many people to help him with thing A. We did B, C, and D. We had four committees working on this. We did the same with his wife, his mother, and his son. Wow. Um, and after that while everybody was milling about, I took a page out of Paul Simon's music and I just snuck out the back, you know? You love music and I just love your references. And yeah. so you shared that with Teddy? Yeah, I just I snuck out the back, you know? No big goodbyes, just... And um, after that, um, Teddy and I became close. His, uh, the woman I call his wife wasn't married at the time. But, uh, he invited my wife and I uh, to their wedding. Um, we talked a lot. Uh, Teddy uh, started his own ministry after that. You know, he made a couple albums that went platinum. After that? Yeah, I know. I know. He was one of our favorites. My husband, when I, when I met him, we both loved Teddy Pendergrass, and that's one of the litmus tests. We just knew we were different to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his, one of his songs, Teddy. Um, um, In My Life, mm. it's about all the things I've seen in life and all the things I've been through. And the refrain is, and I've never loved like this before. Yeah, it's very soulful. Yeah. I would sing it to Joan. And if I did, she would leave me. Because my voice is terrifying. <laughs> well, I remember when Teddy recorded that because it's so crazy that you're bringing it up. I've never spoken about this, but my husband and I both said that Teddy didn't quite have the pipes he used to have and he didn't. And now, you know, we live with our beloved Archer, not having the pipes he had either, but it doesn't matter. You still, you still make art. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you really do. And you have with the, artist wand as a therapist, a very special therapist coming from a place of love and creativity. And I have to tell you that being with you, your, your intelligence, your knowledge base, of course comes through. Oh my God, your love and your tender heart. Really, it's been such a pleasure to be with you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And it's my pleasure to be with you. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love, hope for everything.
obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the companion Blink of an Eye story at Season 3, Episode 4, The Feeling of Home. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and following. And thank you for telling your friends about Blink of an Eye. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. of an eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye Podcast is sponsored by I See That, the integrative center for trauma healing, advocacy, and transformation a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. I See That provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. I See That also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. I See That will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, October 6, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.icthat.org. That's I, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.